Are you a hot chicken guy? I don't love spicy food, so I can't say I do. Did you try it and you're like, I'm not going to, I can't do this again? Maybe. Yeah, and I I did. And I even, I went like a two out of seven or something like that on the hot scale. So I wasn't <laughs> even, I wasn't even halfway there. <laughs> I got some work to do on that part for sure. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Drop. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Cal here with you every Tuesday and Thursday, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well as the NHL on ESPN YouTube. No better place to start on the show than this <laughs> clip. Have a listen. We win the game because we got ball. Yeah. We do. We we do stupid stuff. We don't make some plays sometimes. Um, lose sight of certain momentums in the games. Uh, a number of things we have to work on and try to get consistent at. But one thing we do have is ball. So obviously that was John Tortorella. Obviously the team has a certain character, a certain buy-in, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, Torts actually, uh, no shortage of quotes this week, um, also about hitting in the NHL. Uh, but this particular quote, Wish, uh, what was your first reaction? My first reaction was trying to figure out when you were working with him, because for those who don't remember, John Tortorella was, in fact, a part of our broadcast team when we got the rights back at ESPN. Were there ever moments behind the scenes when he he motivated you guys like this? Like, was there ever was there ever a John Tortorella moment where you guys were kind of shrugging your shoulders uh, in, in in January and behind the scenes? He's like, you guys got got stones. Don't worry about it. You got the stones to do this. Well, he didn't sound like that. that you got to work <laughs> on your torts impression for one. Uh, I, I, I maybe not as much as I would expect uh, in a locker room. Yeah. Uh, he was a lot more. I don't know. I, I I got the best of torts. I mean, I think a lot of players get the best of torts, too. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't specifically remember one moment, but I do remember he was fired up uh, during the uh, uh, Dishigan goal. Like we were on the broadcast for that. Oh, yeah. And I, I could see it wasn't necessarily like behind the scenes, like, hey, like a rallying speech kind of thing. But I could see the glimmer in his eye like he gets a expression in a way like when he has a strong opinion that he is about to say i guess in a mm -hmm. way so like i you can tell that something is coming in that way but um no torts is the best i know i've said this before but like he's a he's a wonderful human being like i've had more conversations with him about anything other than hockey than hockey but no i have not heard a quote like what we just heard uh in cool. studio off camera the two things, like my favorite night with him was opening night one year where I just sat in the studio and watched like most of a, a Tampa Bay Lightning game, I think it was with him. And, and I mean, being able to like see through the eyes of somebody who really knows the sport is something that I think a lot of us don't always get to experience. So that was a real joy to see the things that he was seeing during a game that I certainly wasn't seeing the same thing. The other thing is you mentioned his quote about hitting. That's what that's a topic we should probably drill down on in a future episode because his 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 notion of uh players not necessarily being educated in how to deliver a hit or take a check in lower levels of hockey and then getting to the NHL and and seeing that sort of trickle up over the last maybe decade or so, I thought was a really interesting point. And I saw some former players kind of reaching out uh, about that quote and saying, you know, he's really onto something here. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, um, 
he he a lot of that was a very solid point like a lot of people were agreeing with a lot of what he was saying there and uh, and, and to your point like he like he's one of the most knowledgeable people that we have in hockey like what, what yeah. forget about the character forget about what you think of him press conferences i get it right but at the end of the day what i saw of him is a human being that i would you know like I, endeavor I to go have dinner with all the time. He's a terrific human being. Off yeah, also because he wears a lot of sweater vests. He looks like he's ready I to love go it. to a nice steakhouse. Yeah. Um, I just I think the problem is like him as the messenger for that sort of thing about like the state of hitting and hockey. It's always gonna track back to oh, there goes torts again. Then the old Nathan ne- Neanderthalic coach who misses the the fights and the gouging and the whole thing. Um, I agree. I think he's more nuanced than that. So I do wonder if sometimes if he's the messenger, it's like hearing Brian Burke talk about it, right? Like truculence, pugnacity. Like when you hear him hear him talk about physicality in the game, you assume it's coming from this old school. This guy was in the NHL in the 1990s aesthetic. Um, and so, but but I think hopefully people can see that through that with Torts and that he's got an interesting commentary about the state of hitting and, and the state of player safety in the game as well. Let's move on to NHL awards. Uh, we're at the point in the season where we're just going to continuously talk uh, about early, <laughs> mid-season, mid to late season, end of season. Like we're going to do this in waves, right? But uh, an article up on ESPN.com, the NHL Awards Watch. Uh, th- these are uh, this drop this week. Actual ballots from actual voters give. Uh, you and your esteemed panel, a snapshot of the current awards races. So the big headlines that came out of this, and again, you can read this on ESPN.com, but one of the big topics of conversation, which was, could a defenseman win the Hart Trophy for the first time in almost 25 years, a quarter of a century? Where do you land on that question? Let me let me first ask you, were you shocked to find out that the last time we had an MVP that was a defenseman was Chris Pronger back in 1999 and 2000? And that since 1969, that are there have only been two defensemen to win the Hart Trophy, Bobby Orr three times, Chris Pronger once. Did that surprise you? Yes and no. Uh, it to me, it almost diminishes the role because when I think of the Hart Trophy, I think of an offensive player that had a fantastic season, accumulated a whole bunch of points, or I think of a goaltender that willed his team to the playoffs or had some spectacular year. We rarely talk about the defensive efforts of a defenseman. And usually, to your point about Bobby Orr, when they're in the Hart Trophy conversation, it's because they're racking up a lot of points. For example, if not for Connor McDavid last season, Eric Carlson might have gotten some more Hart Trophy votes because he had a hundred point season. Well, I don't. I mean, he's playing on a team that is hot garbage. I don't think he's going to be in the Hart Trophy conversation necessarily. But he had a hundred point season. So, like, yeah. what my point is is that the, he would have more thoughts about it simply because of his point totals as opposed to what he's doing on the ice. Yes, the team obviously, but. Like, I, I'm not so surprised. Are you surprised? I am. Because, like, when you think about a goaltender winning the heart, it makes sense. The guy plays the entire game. 
a defenseman that is going to be in the Hart Trophy conversation most likely is playing over 25 minutes a game, right? So that's a pretty good chunk of time every game. Uh, this defenseman most likely is influencing offense as much as he's influencing defense. Um, I, I think it's it kind of speaks to the points and goals obsessed notion that we have as as hockey fans and hockey punditry that you know a, a player like McDavid is a default pick for the heart when a defenseman might be if they if they're you know leading the league let's say in points for a defenseman might also be impacting the other side of the game more than McDavid does for example so I don't know when when you think about the defenseman that we've had in this league in the last 20 25 years I mean you're thinking about like Nick Nick Lidstrom Scott Niedermeyer you know you mentioned Eric Carlson you think about his days back with the with the Ottawa Senators like we've had defensemen that are so good and so beyond the norm that you'd think that they could get more attention for MVP in one of those seasons, but it's just never happened. Now, to answer your question, it could happen this year. Uh, Quinn Hughes was in the top three in our NHL awards watch for December. Uh, obviously, he's had a huge impact on the Vancouver Canucks, uh, playing a ton of minutes and being an offensive force for them. And then Kale McCarr only got a, a couple of first place votes from our panel, uh, from the actual voters for the Hart Trophy. But, I mean, when you think about the season that he's having, I mean, the, the Avalanche are averaging 3.83 goals per game at 5-on-5. Five five, best uh, That's the best influence for any player on the defensive side uh, on his team this season. Um, he's got a better expected goals against than Quinn Hughes as well. I, I think Quinn's been great. I think he gets... I think we're all looking to figure out who to give the lion's share of the credit to on the Canucks right now for how good they've been. But ultimately, if you're looking for the guy that's going to be able to win the Hart Trophy as a defenseman for the first time since Pronger in 2000, I think that guy is going to end up being Kale McCarr if he's got the health. The asterisk that I would put there is if Connor McDavid and Jack Hughes don't explode for the remainder of the season. So to your point, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes as we record right now, are both at 34 points. Very impressive. They're in the top six in in uh, points in the NHL right now. Jack Hughes, 30 points in 17 games. Connor McDavid, 29 points in 20 games. Now, I'm reading these to you, and you and I both know that Jack Hughes and Connor McDavid at any point can go on long point streaks, rack them up, get to 100-plus, and to a point, in fact, where it would become prohibitive to us not award them the at least a finalist vote, right? Well, so, or a finalist position. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, like, well, what's funny Mc... about that? Or, yeah. What's funny about that is that, like, so McDavid didn't get any first place votes in November. The, the Oilers sucked. So why would he, right? Like, and he sure. wasn't scoring either. Um, now that he is scoring a lot of points and they're moving up the standings since the coaching change to, to Knobloch, um, you know, he, he received two first place votes this month in the awards watch. And both of the people that voted for him, independent of each other, because no one knows who contributes to this thing, both said, this is a vote for later in the season. Like, this is a vote for where I think it's going. You know, at some point, McDavid is going to be right back in the MVP conversation to try to win back-to-back -back hearts. So I am supporting him now, knowing that we're headed in that direction. And again, like, if the Oilers rally to win a playoff spot after the beginning of the season that they had, and Connor's point total is something elephantine again, like, he's definitely going to be top three and might actually make it back-to-back -back MVP wins.
And, and to your point there, I think there's a Mendoza line. Like there's some magical <laughs> number that we don't have in our heads yet, but we'll know it when we see it, that Connor McDavid exceeds that number. Then he's an automatic lock for the heart. If it's underneath, then we might consider a Quinn Hughes slash Kale McCarr or, or even Jack Hughes if he exceeds that number. Um, is there only one player that can stop Connor Bedard from winning Rookie of the Year? Might be two. Um, okay. So Bedard in the NHL Awards Watch this month was the unanimous choice amongst all of our voters to win the Calder Trophy as the league's rookie of the year and rightfully so he was rookie of the month in november his 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 uh, scoring is incredible i think i saw that he became like the fourth youngest player to ever have a four-point game uh in yes. nhl history yes. in in november which is incredible um but two guys to keep in mind uh for this rookie of the year race one guy is obviously luke hughes of the devils um leading all uh rookie defensemen in scoring uh, second to Bedard, actually, amongst all rookies in scoring. And the 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 key here is that with the Devils losing Dougie Hamilton, a devastating injury for that team, by the way, to a, a torn pectoral muscle, that's going to keep him out indefinitely, probably months on end. Uh, they're going to rely a lot more on, on Luke Hughes to do a lot more things as a rookie. And so, you know, if he gets the lion's share of the credit for stabilizing the devils and, and maybe moving up and, and, and playing a, a larger role with Hamilton on the lineup. It'd be interesting to see what that means vis-a-vis -vis Bedard. The second guy is Joseph Wall, uh goaltender for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. He's he's he was third in our rookie voting. And um and I think that you can really kind of see where it's all headed. Uh Ilya Sansanov, terrible rookie, good Leafs in a playoff race. <laughs> like he's gonna get the credit for it and uh and his numbers are strong. Those are the only two on the radar right now that I think Bedard has to worry about with the caveat that, you know, Logan Cooley still has a uh, a pretty hefty points total for a uh, surprisingly good Arizona team. Uh, if they're relevant and he's great, he's going to be in the conversation by the end of the season, too, I think. Dougie Hamilton out for months on end unless he goes to Aaron Rodgers as doctor. <laughs> then he'll be back in two and a half months. Yeah. Now, the question is, is if he goes to Aaron Rodgers' doctor, uh, do the Devils have to be uh, in a playoff race for him to come back? Because that was also the caveat for Rodgers. Yeah. And as a Jets fan, I can tell you, I ain't expecting to see him again this year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Welcome to the 3000 Club Broadway Blue Shirts. So on December 3rd, the New York Rangers defeated the San Jose Sharks, which was their 3000th regular season NHL win in franchise history. The Rangers now make it five teams at the 3,000 mark. The Blackhawks have 2,873 victories. So the Rangers are at five, and then it goes the Red Wings, the Leafs, the Bruins, and the most franchise wins in NHL history, the Montreal Canadiens, with 3,536. Boston is particularly impressive here, though, because unlike the Habs and Leafs, who began in 1917 in the NHL, the Bruins began in 1924. Outside of the original six, the Flyers lead the way at 2,147 wins. Then come the Blues, Penguins, Stars, and the first non-expansion era team, the Buffalo Sabres, at 1,889 wins. So which franchise has the least wins in NHL history? It's actually not the Seattle Kraken. There are actually three franchises with less wins in the NHL. You got the Hamilton Tigers, the Philadelphia Quakers, and the Montreal Wanderers. Funny enough, the Wanderers and the Bulldogs are actually Stanley Cup champions. That happened during the era where the Stanley Cup was sort of defended like a boxing world championship. 
to the team across the Hudson, the New York Rangers, a funny question to ask about the Broadway blue shirts. Are they being disrespected, Wish? Well, let's let's look at it. I mean, they are clearly the best team in hockey right now based on their win total, based on how they're playing. They are a juggernaut in the Eastern Conference, which is saying something because you've got the Boston Bruins there that were off to a great start. The Rangers beat them and beat them pretty handily in their in their uh, head-to-head matchup recently. Uh, I was surprised not to see Artemi Panarin in the top three for the Hart Trophy. I think this guy has been by far one of the most valuable players in this league right now. Uh, it was Kucherov. Um, leading the charge there with uh, David Pasternak in the conversation along with Quinn Hughes. I think Panarin's been incredible, and I and I don't quite think he's getting the credit he deserves for this MVP season he's gotten. The big surprise for me, though, dude, is like when you think about the Rangers and how good they are, and you think about how they leveled up over last year's team. Well, what's the big difference between last year's team and this year's team besides, you know, the incredible fountain of youth goaltending of Jonathan Quick? It's Peter Laviolette. Like, it is the man behind the bench. You can see it every night when the Rangers play, the difference in their play, the difference that he's made. They look like a different team than the team that Gerard Gallant coached because they're not, I mean, they didn't get faster, but they're playing faster. They're playing more aggressive. They're playing more physical. They look like a better team under Peter Laviolette. He deserves the lion's share of the credit for that. And and so I am moderately surprised he isn't the favorite for the Jack Adams. It's still the Rick Tockett show right now. Um, but if I had a vote for coach of the year, I'd give it to Laviolette because the Rangers have been that good. I want to give credit to the athletic on this one. Uh, I think it was a Dean Evison piece. Uh, just the idea of former coaches watching the first couple games of their team and being like, where was this team when I was there like two weeks ago? Yeah. Like you could just imagine what, you know, former coaches watching their current teams and how they're performing. This kind well, of funny reaction thinking about this. Prob- the, problem for La- the problem for Lavi is that like if the Rangers win the president's trophy, uh, that does not portend good things for being coach of the year. Since 1986, which is when they started handing out the president's trophy to the team with the best regular season record, that coach has only won the Jack Adams nine times out of 36 opportunities. Now, it has happened a little bit more recently, three times out of the last eight seasons with Barry Trotz, Bruce Cassidy, and then Jim Montgomery last season. So that's good news for LaVulette if the Rangers end up with the uh, league's best record. But, I mean, you think about all the coaches that have never won with great teams, guys like, you know, Mike Babcock, pre-crisis, John Cooper, people like that. You know, there's the voters for some reason, it's the broadcasters that vote for the award are are so much more obsessed with like the narrative. Like I took a non-playoff team and made it a playoff team. I'm a first year coach. I made this impact. Like there's so much more attention paid to those teams than there are the ones at the top of the standings. And it's it's a real bummer that some of these coaches have never been awarded uh, commiserate to their team's success on the ice. Well, speaking of the President's Trophy in 2018, it was the Nashville Predators. The Jack Adams was not awarded. Uh, It was actually awarded to the Vegas Golden Knights. It was their inaugural year. But the reason I bring up the Nashville Predators is because we have a special guest here on The Drop. None other than superstar Predators forward, Philip Forsberg. This is a fun one. Pleased to be joined now here on ESPN's The Drop by Philip Forsberg of the Nashville Predators. The Preds are rolling right now on a six-game win streak. Philip, thank you very much for joining us. I kind of want to rewind it back a little bit, though. I'm always curious, like, 
for someone like yourself, been on a team for a long time, and then a new head coach comes in, right? Andrew Burnett takes the post as head coach. What happens in the offseason? Like, how much conversation is had? Who reaches out first? Can you take us through that journey of, like, even before you guys step on the ice for training camp, what that communication is like? Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, it's obviously has happened before when when Laviolette took over for from yeah from Barry Trotz actually uh, a handful of years ago, but uh, this one was was a little different. Obviously, with uh, with it happening kind of later in the summer, like we didn't really know what was going to happen if if John Hines was going to come back or not, and ended up being uh, yeah a fairly late into the summer decision. And uh, I was here in town when yeah when Coach Bruno was was announced with the press conference. That was the first time I met him, and obviously just spoke to him very briefly and. Then there was was a few conversations over the phone throughout the throughout the summer, and uh, yeah, just kind of get a little bit of a feel for who he is as as a as a person, but also as a coach. And uh, I think it's been a, it's been a very good uh, good transition so far. Did you almost have a, a heart attack when you heard Barry Trotz say you guys are going to be an offensive team under Bruno? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little. Little change. I mean, obviously from from him, right? You didn't know what to expect when he when he was coming back. But I think I think just just the mix of obviously the experience that Barry has as a coach, but also just in hockey in general, and bringing in Bruno, who was, I mean, got a ton of experience as a player, and then obviously has been uh, yeah, assistant coach and brief brief head coach there for the Panthers. And I think the mix of the two of them, and, and obviously our our um, our style of play in general, has been a, has been a good combination so far. I was going to ask you about another off-season addition in, in Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, it, it's always interesting to me when you uh, bring in a player that you're so used to competing so intensely against as an opponent and, and a player that obviously has a heck of a reputation coming in with, with the Stanley Cup win and the leadership and all that stuff. What are the things you've learned about him since you became a teammate of Ryan O'Reilly's? Uh, well, I think it's the small things that you don't see all the time. Like you said, he was with St. Louis and Colorado for, for long enough that we played him a thousand times a year, <laughs> it feels like, you know, and he was he was tough to play against. But then once you see all the work that he puts in every day, I mean, he's he's here and he's working on those small details before practice. I mean, he's he's, in my opinion, very underrated. Like, I didn't realize how good he actually is, you know, like on everything. Like, he, you knew he was, was great at face-off. You knew he was going to be almost impossible to you know, I mean to play against when you played against it but then he comes here and you see the op- offensive upside through all the small things that he does I mean it's, it's been really cool and really yeah I mean I try to learn as much as I can from him as well there's some big news regarding the NHL all-star game the uh draft is back on Thursday so I just want you to imagine that you're part of the all-star game this year I'm very curious about a player's perspective of this. I think it's cool. I think it's going to be a fun show from a fan perspective. But as a player, uh, what do you make of the selection show being back, you know, going back to the roots of hockey, street hockey, et cetera? And also, is it true that how, how much truth is there to players not necessarily liking being among the last to be selected in a scenario like that? I mean, to I was actually the last time they did this. I was actually there. It was my rookie year, uh, so they picked a few rookies to be in the game, and then a couple guys bailed out last minute. Uh, so I was able <laughs> to actually be in in the the actual like draft or the game part of of the All Star game, which was great. It's a great experience as a rookie doing that. But that was actually the last time they did the draft. So uh, me and Ryan Nugent Hopkins were able to get those cars. And I'm not going to, I'm I'm obviously very happy about that. But at the same time, I definitely would have liked to be picked a little bit earlier than, than that. So hopefully I, uh, yeah, if, if that happens, I'll, uh, I'll be a pick, a, a pick or two higher at least, but 
I, I think it's it's cool. It obviously, like I said, it adds it adds a little bit of fun, a lot of uh, goofing around. I mean, obviously, Ovechkin was sitting there and trying to get that car so hard at that time when we were there. And, uh, it, it was a fun time, fun thing to be a part of. <laughs> As as Arda mentioned, the NHL is making these big moves, creating you know a new All Star format, but also creating what we understand to be a new mid season international tournament. Not a World Cup, obviously, but kind of a, a, a I don't know a Ryder Cup or something, a Four Nations tournament or something, where it'd be the U.S. and Canada on one side of the bracket, and Sweden and Finland on the other side of the bracket. What were your thoughts when you heard about that format maybe happening in twenty twenty five? I'm I'm all for it. I think we obviously we need to get some kind of uh, international hockey back with NHL players participating, and and I understand the uh, the concerns of of World Cups, Olympics, all that type of stuff. I know it's not the easiest thing just to put together, but but I, I do think that we're currently, I mean, us as players, but also the fans out there are are being. I mean, we're not getting to watch and play these these. I mean, the best games. Like I remember watching the Olympics and stuff like that growing up and best on best hockey. I mean, you can't beat it and representing your country in those situations is, is, is special. I mean, I've been fortunate enough. I was in the world cup, obviously, which was a little different with, with the Europe team and, and the young team, but, and then a couple of world championships, but those are different too, just with non, yeah, no like playoff players in there, obviously. So I, I am all for it. And uh, playing for one is obviously a little bit uh, extra special for sure. So, Philip, hockey media loves to cover Nashville and go to Nashville because it's a very fun city. What would you say is the best part about living in Nashville? Uh, I mean, I see why you people would like it because there's a lot, a lot of entertainment. <laughs> I mean, obviously, especially with the, with the building being where it is, you know, right? you can uh, you can have a good time within minutes of of the puck. Uh, yeah, by, by yeah, by the the game is ended, you can be having a good time real quick after it. But for for me, I think it's just the people. I mean, even since I first came here. Uh, this, this, there was, yeah, there's the same, obviously, Southern hospitality, and that's something that's really, really through the city uh, as a whole. I mean, I came here when I was 19, over 10 years ago, and and the city really helped me out. I mean, at the time, I didn't really know anything about anything, and uh, a lot of people that was really helpful to me. And I mean, yeah, to still, still to this day, there's people that I met early on that still keep in touch with, and, and I think the people are, are the best thing with it. Look, Forsberg, just because we hold our professional hockey writers meetings at Tootsie's does not mean that we <laughs> vibe on Broadway. Hey, are are you a hot chicken guy? Do, do, you, or do you eat the hot chicken in Nashville? I mean, I'm not. I don't love spicy food, so I can't say I do. I mean, I think the new I don't know if you guys have seen the new Hattie B's location, but it's right across from Bridgestone. It's a pretty prime location. So next mm-hmm. time you guys come, you can at least fuel up before you get get going at Tootsie's over there it's it's a great spot it's they did a really good job with it did you try it and you're like I'm not gonna I can't do this again I, I understand the novelty but it's not for me yeah and I I did and I even I went like a two out of seven or something like that on the hot scale so I wasn't even I wasn't even halfway there <laughs> I, yeah I got some work to do on that part for sure <laughs> Uh, last one for me, and thanks again for your time. Uh, I understand that you are the minority owner of Nashville's MLS team. Um, what's that been like? I mean, it, it's been crazy. I'm not going to lie, especially we, we jumped on about a year ago, uh, almost exactly now. And this first year has been yeah, pretty wild, <laughs> to say the least, with with obviously Messi being the, the highlight for the whole league. But just Nashville's League's Cup run, making the finals, playing, yeah, just said Messi in the finals. and. It's been really cool kind of seeing the whole city embrace soccer. And because uh, you, I mean, 
I love soccer. I've done it since I was a kid, obviously being in Europe and soccer is such a big part of, of everything over there. Uh, it's really cool to see that coming here. Obviously it's just, I mean, bringing the best player ever is, is obviously a great marketing decision by David Beckham. Don't get me wrong. I wish we, uh, hopefully we can do something similar here in Nashville at some point too, but uh, it, it's awesome. I, I think it's been, it's been a great journey and I'm really excited about the future with it. Did you get I, to meet him? No, I, I did not. Wow. We actually, it was funny. We They play the finals, obviously, and we we had, there was probably 10, 10 guys from the team that went. And uh, we had one of our Russian guys ask me, Yakov Tren, he's like, hey, can you, do you think we can get to meet Messi after the game? And I was like, nah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really think we have that type of pull here. And he was like dead serious too. And he's like, okay, no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got to happen next season. You're a minority owner. I mean, yeah. eventually there's got to be some room that you and Messi will be in the same room, right? I, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Like I said, the first year we were kind of just learning, kind of get to know some of the people. And now, but now the second year we're going to take over a little bit more and make some changes. And, and hopefully we can get in that room. That'd be cool. All right. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to see that picture. My last question it's a quick one. Uh, you are obviously very well known for the mustache, right? Like it's part of the persona, part of the uh, the Philip Forsberg presentation, the character. I'm just curious, like how often do people bring it up, whether it's interviews, on the street? Like how often is the mustache brought up in just general conversation for you? Um, I'd say about at least once a day. So it's every every day for sure. It's it's obviously hard to, <laughs> to not to. It's like... It's mostly like some people that obviously like random people will stop you like, oh, a nice mustache. It's like, oh, thanks, you know, and so that's cool. <laughs> but it's, uh, I think it's it's definitely a, a conversation starter. It's a, it's a topic. A lot of people like it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to miss, too, I guess. So it's a little bit of my own fault. Yeah, love to see it. It's like the 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 mustache of the NHL generation. Uh, Philip Forsberg joining us here on the drop. I can't wait to see the picture of you and Messi. That's that's what we have to look forward to now uh, next season. All right, I like that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a bunch to Philip Forsberg for joining us on the drop. I hope we do get that uh, picture of him and Leo Messi at some point. <laughs> it should happen. Um, I impromptu search for merch. Wish this is where we invite uh, any NHL teams or hockey adjacent brands to send us cool stuff so that we can show it off on the show, especially if it's wacky and unique. Uh, you know me. I love my Star Wars Night merchandise. I think this yeah. is one of my favorite pieces. I wish I had it with me to show Philip Forsberg to get his reaction. I'll consider that a big miss on my part uh, in the name of journalism. But this is uh, a Star Wars Night Philip <laughs> Philip Forsberg uh, bobblehead, uh, which is terrific. I think this is one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars Night. Very creative. Yeah, and and uh, yellow lightsaber. Uh, yep. The Kyber crystals tell us that he's a Jedi by yes. that virtue. So right. uh, it's a good looking. That's a good looking bobblehead. I like it a lot. So there you have it. Uh, so uh, let's move on to power rankings. You know, we love to do power rankings here on the drop. The top five most surprising goal-scoring stars this season. Will Philip Forsberg be on the list? Spoiler alert, he is not. Uh, who no. is <laughs> No surprises there. The no man surprises because he's, he's great. He's dominant. And he's no, you know to be expected. You know who's surprising? You know who's who? surprising? Number five, Mackenzie Weger. Uh -huh. Why would Mackenzie Weger ever be on a goal-scoring list? Well, it's because he has six goals already as we do the show. His career high is eight goals. You know, Arda, say what you will. 
I think we have to stop calling this the Matthew Kachuk trade and start calling it the Mackenzie Weger trade, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I love it. Six goals. Let's go, baby. The Mackenzie Weger trade in full effect. Forget about the Stanley Cup final. No, 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 no. Six goals so far yep. in the season. But Good that call. is very impressive, Mackenzie Weger. How about Jake Neighbors of the St. Louis Blues? He's got nine goals, already a career high. He leads the Blues in goals and had only one assist in 23 games. I think that's the Kirill Marche rule uh or the Cy Young uh award of hockey well, he's actually, an EA sports glitch yeah I was gonna say I don't know if, if 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 everyone experienced this but when I used to play like NHL 94 95 you know on I think I was playing on, on Nintendo like Super Nintendo when you would do the play until a day uh thing you know for a season to just like jump to the playoffs there was a glitch where a dude would have like 60 goals and no assists. I don't know if this happened on every gaming platform. Maybe I had a, a bum cartridge, but uh, Jake neighbor's goal total right now, nine goals, one assist. It feels like an EA sports glitch. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Who's number three. Uh, number three is Michael Carcone. Now, if you asked a hundred people, Arda, where does Michael Carcone play? <laughs> Oh, How no. many people would know oh, it's no. the Arizona Coyotes? 98. 98. I'm, I have faith in the hockey world. I have faith. <laughs> My dude's got 11 goals in 22 games, and he's a great story. He's like in his late 20s. He spent eight years in the American Hockey League kind of bouncing around. And the other great thing about him, too, this is a, a quintessential NHL 2023-2024 kind of story because my man is listed at five foot nine. You know it's hockey. He's probably about five foot two, and he is scoring a bunch of goals for the Arizona Coyotes right now. And uh, the Coyotes, again, there's so many good stories on the team right now as far as like them contending at this point. But uh, his arrival as a surprising goal scorer is one of them. And give him extra points because he's scoring a lot of those goals at the mullet. <laughs> which is always wonderful to see. Uh, Brockett Richard is number two. Brock Besser lead, led the NHL in goals through 25 games, 17. What? Okay, can you just give me a little bit? We don't have to go too deep on the Canucks here, but like what is working for them? Like Brock Besser leading in goals, Elias Pettersson becoming a superstar, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko. Like, like how is this all working together for the Canucks and and and, and seeing success early here? Well, when you watch them, you'll notice that all of those players are on the ice, uh, which means that they are healthy, which means that they are not injured. And that has yes. been the biggest problem in particular with Brock Besser through the years, his ability to stay in the lineup. So as he leads the NHL in goals, as he leads the NHL in goals per 60 in all situations, 2.17 more than anybody else with at least 300 minutes played, prayer circle. Prayer circle for Brock Besser that he stays healthy, he plays a full 82, and we get to see uh, the completion of what is uh, becoming one of the better goal-scoring seasons we've seen from Canuck in a very long time. And hopefully he continues to stay healthy. Hopefully they all do, and the Vancouver Canucks continue to contend in the West. All right, and number one? It's got to be Frank Vetrano, man. 14 goals in 24 games. This guy's bounced around like a super happy fun ball from Boston to Florida to the New York Rangers. His previous high in the first few months of the season was seven goals. My dude's got 14. I mean, say what you will about Brock Besser uh, contending for the Rocket Richard, but this is the goal-scoring hero of the opening part of the season. Frank Fracciano of the Anaheim Ducks. Go, Frankie, go. 
I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know what Super Happy Fun Ball was, and I'm looking it up, and I realize it's now an SNL skit. Okay. Oh my didn't god! Know. Do didn't not know. taunt Super Happy Fun Ball. It is a uh, classic. Go look on YouTube. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go down a rabbit hole now. How could I not know? Wow, I'm embarrassed. Uh, you know what? Uh, that's our uh power rankings. Good. I I, I agree. Vetrano and also like a bunch of hat tricks too, right? Like he was like scoring like incredible at an incredible pace, especially the first few games of the year. He was like a surprise name, uh, but good for him and the Anaheim Ducks, uh, charging along. I uh went speaking of rabbit holes, and I will look up Super Happy Fun Ball later. Um, I went down a rabbit hole of NHL players uh, and what they do after their careers. Now, a lot of them, a lot of them obviously uh, get into analyst work, you know, and uh, on broadcasts, et cetera. Um, yeah. A lot of them work, continue to work in hockey, whether it's front office, general manager, coaching, uh, scouting, hockey operations, whatever. Yeah. I like hearing about the players that either leave hockey entirely or also just find or assume fun, interesting, off-the-beaten-path jobs after more. their hockey careers. This The reason uh, I was inspired by this is because this past weekend, you may have seen the video online of Marcel Hossa, uh, Marion Hossa's brother, who played, obviously, in the NHL with the Rangers and the Canadians and the Coyotes for a cup of tea. Uh, he is now a boxer. So there was footage of him boxing in a boxing ring in a professional fight this past weekend. And I thought that was really cool. And yeah. then I got thinking of, hey, wait a second. We heard a similar story in the last few days, Wish. Dustin Bufflin, after leaving hockey, is now a professional fisherman. And I'm like, man, I wonder what more kind of jobs exist like this. So, uh, for example, Mike Richter. Ah, this Rangers. is a common one. This is a, this is a, this is probably maybe the most common of the non-hockey jobs. Uh, a lot of finance out there, right? Mm -hmm. So he started a private equity cur uh, firm, the president of Brightcore Energy, which is a clean energy solutions company. Wow. Uh, so he like really cool that you know going into the corporate world. Uh, but maybe wish uh, the most vocal example of this is Eddie Lack, who's very very. Um, active on social media and you love it because he's got a great account. Uh, he's a real estate agent and he takes us into that world, which is a lot of fun. Like former, it's almost like a reality show. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why we can't get him on selling sunset at some point, except for the fact <laughs> that he sells his houses, I think in, in uh, Arizona is it is where Eddie like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Real estate's a big deal, man. You remember Zidane Chara was studying to get his real estate license. His post playing days uh, so far, he's like still an athlete, but now is like a, a runner. I mean, the he became a USA triathlon long course winner. And this made me laugh, buddy. He's the long course winner in the Clydesdale division of the U.S. <laughs> triathlon, which is incredible and absolutely apropos for Zidane Ochara. Absolutely. You got you. You love to see that. So obviously the jobs today, um, this would be after their careers wind down now in the 60s and prior to that, uh, when the salaries weren't necessarily where they are today, obviously, uh, a lot of hockey players, a lot of NHL players took jobs in the summer. And one that struck uh, going down the rabbit hole, one that I couldn't help but like be fascinated by is a Leafs defenseman, Gus Mortson. He played in the forties and fifties. He won four Stanley cups with the Leafs. Now imagine you win a Stanley cup 
and then you go take your summer job and you're prospecting for gold. <laughs> so you go to like Northern Ontario or like the North regions of Canada and you have your giant backpack and you have your pickaxe and you find like, you know, faces of, of caves and mountains and you're picking and looking for gold and you're like, hmm, this looks good. Maybe I'll take it back and investigate further. And you have the little monocle uh, what is it magnifier and you're yeah. looking at like it's just like the, the idea of that is crazy now i like the idea of a crazy old gold prospector being in the nhl he's got his playoff beard is one of those just big long gray ones <laughs> and he's just like you know what really burnt my biscuits tonight and kind of thing you know that'd be amazing uh, so that got us thinking what after hockey jobs would be perfect for current or very recently retired NHL players. Wish, why don't you get us started here? Sure thing. Uh, for me, the perfect job for Patrick Laine of the Columbus Blue Jackets would be to host Moodlin Kuple. I am butchering that. I apologize <laughs> to my Finnish friends. That translates to to the top of fashion. Yes, that's right. Moodlin Kuple is Finland's version of um, the American reality television series Project One Runway. Anyone who has seen Patrick Laine walk into arena knows that he'd be perfect as the host of Finland's Project Runway. We need Mudwin Hooplay. I apologize, Finnish fans, on a um on a shirt, by the way. That's that's the next <laughs> shirt we need. Um, I'm going to add to that. So after Laine gets famous for the Finnish Project Runway on TV, he's going to recruit Jack Hughes... Mm. and Louis Deming mm. and they're going to start a cooking competition uh and the main and the main ingredient will be broccoli why by, broccoli by, by then Jack Hughes will know how to cook broccoli remember there's oh, that that's famous right. thing with, with Ty Smith I remember Deming with the broccoli but yeah. I forgot about Jack with the broccoli that's yeah right. Jack Jack interrupted Ty Smith's live stream to ask him how to cook broccoli once so that that'll be the main ingredient and then that'll be like a whole thing and actually you should be a part of that since you're a big cooking guy oh yeah you're a cooking it's show like, guy Obviously, Iron Chef adjacent, the big thing rises to the floor of the dry ice. It's broccoli. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andre Kopitar, only one career for him beyond, you know, Benicio Del Toro cosplayer. That would be professional <laughs> dog show handler. Uh, Gustel Kopitar has more Instagram followers than I do, less than Arda does. Hmm. We should probably, I should probably ask my therapist about that. Um, couldn't you see? <laughs> Andre Kopitar, the proud, proud parent of this beautiful dog, prancing around Westminster like Eugene Levy in, in Best in Show as he's attempting to have a golden doodle of some sort win a prize. I can the, see it. The best part is, is that the pet Instagram accounts, if they pop off and go viral, they make some serious coin. Like there's potential there to make more money with those accounts if they get into the millions than an NHL player, like many NHL players. It's so crazy. He, it could easily be just be a, a pet influencer as well. 100%. That, just post every day, get into the algorithm. It pops off and all of a sudden Anze Kopitar is like, uh, has a pet influencer, like getting brand sponsorships, appearances. Oh, yeah. That that that'd be a whole second career, no pro and then get more dogs in the mix too, like basically like have a whole crew of Instagram accounts. Amazing. Uh, Nick Felino will absolutely go on the motivational speaking tour. 
Uh, I see him like a David Goggins type, uh, basically giant conference rooms full of people, thousands, maybe gets into arenas at some point where he's just influencing us and motivating us to live our best life. He's giving us tips on leadership. He's doing corporate events where like brands bring him into giant boardrooms with C and V level people sitting around and he's telling them how to lead a company and how to motivate your staff and how to create the best work environment and how to put the best culture in that's nick felino to me yeah and it's going to be something really dumb like you know go go into the corners you know don't be afraid to stand in front of the crease you know it's i it's such easy money i wish i could do it myself um jacob truba of the new york rangers uh there's a lot of careers for jacob truba of the new york rangers but obviously the one he'll end up in is Executive Vice President of Player Safety for the National Hockey League. <laughs> oh, man. Because they hire the people that uh, know the tricks of the trade, if you will. This is supposed to be non-hockey, but yes, let's, let's take, we'll accept that. Uh, I love it. Uh, and finally, Joe Thornton uh, will, very similar to Patrick Laine, will get into television and decide oh. that he's going to uh, create his own travel show called Jumbo's Jet. Uh, where he will go around the world and he will uh, sample foods and he will learn cultures from all around the world. Uh, and uh, the beard will also play a big part. Maybe maybe in each country, he will learn uh, the best methods to keep a beard. Yeah. And and bring bring back to the United States or it North could be America. Kinda, it could be like, like kind of like semi-naked and afraid. Like he'll be shirtless. He'll just be traveling sans, sans top throughout yeah. all of these places. Could definitely yeah. work. And then there's a counter. How many times he's asked to put on a shirt in an establishment? Like there's like a counter on the bottom left, like a graphic. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, executive vice president of player safety. Uh, yeah. <laughs> got it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like hiring a hacker to run your security. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Google saying, hey, if you can get into our mainframe, we will pay you to, we'll pay to you keep to it run secure. Our security. Yeah. Exactly. You got to find someone who knows the ins and outs of legalities. Uh, we have a lot of exciting guests uh, in the docket for the drop. Uh, we don't want to announce them just yet because we're in the final stages of trying to plan them all. But uh, it's going to be a very exciting stretch to the end of the year and into early 2024 as well. So thank you for enjoying the drop. Thanks for listening wherever you happen to listen or watch, wherever you get your podcasts as well on the NHL and ESPN YouTube. He's Wish. I'm Marta. We will catch you on Thursday. Bye. Bye.